So today, while they're making their way out, we have a guest preacher. Some of you will recognize Caleb. He's preached before, but Caleb is is a is a guy that uh, grew up kind of as a part of our congregation. Uh, Matt had a had a lot of investment in him, and um, he's looking to go into ministry. And we love to give him an opportunity to preach on occasion. So this is Caleb Hansen. Thanks for preaching for us today, bud. Now there it is. Okay, sweet. Sweet. Okay, so like Eric said, my name is Caleb. Uh, like he said, I've had a couple opportunities to come up here and preach. The last time I preached was about two years ago, and it was only 15 minutes long. Matt was like, hey, man, you got to preach a little bit longer than that. So today we're going to be going for 1530, so taking a couple baby steps, you know. Uh, but for real, I am excited to be up here. I'm excited for the opportunity that Ronnie's given me to be up here with you guys today. So like I said, it's about two years, so I'm going to give you guys a quick little bit of a life update for me since the last two years has gone by. So we're going to be talking about most recent, moving forward to the latest thing that's happened. So in two days, I will have been married for four months to my amazing, beautiful wife, Emma Hansen. She's right over there. Uh, so if there's any guys in the audience that need any sort of marital advice, you guys come and ask me after service. Uh, you can ask her. I've made no mistakes in our four months of marriage. I'm pretty much perfect. Uh, we also added a family member. Uh, his name is Max. He's our dog. He's an Australian Shepherd Mini Poodle Mix. He's probably the dumbest, smartest dog I've ever met in my entire life, but he's a joy to have around. Uh, I also got a job at Manhattan Christian College, so part of my job is to become a recruiter, so I go around recruiting students to tell them about Manhattan Christian College and how they can fit into, or how God can fit into their story. And the other thing that I want to let you guys know is I did graduate from MCC finally. You know, there's a couple of people that doubted me that I would actually be able to make it through college, but I did it, uh, and I graduated with an emphasis in youth ministry. So the way that degrees work at MCC is you have your emphasis, and mine was in youth ministry, but you can also have these tracks, which are basically your minors in a degree program. So I did, I did two of those. I did one in intercultural studies, which is basically how to communicate and talk to other cultures about the gospel in a nice, respectful way. The other one I was really interested in was spiritual formation. And there's a lot of classes and a lot that goes into what spiritual formation is, but one of my favorite classes was this class that was called Spiritual Disciplines and Retreats. And the whole point is for us to practice these disciplines inside the classroom setting and then execute them correctly so we can help other people understand them and execute them correctly as well. But let's define what a spiritual discipline is first. So a spiritual discipline is defined as a regular or full-time performance of actions and activities undertaken for the purpose of inducing spiritual experiences and cultivating spiritual development. In other words, spiritual discipline is designed to help you grow and cultivate your own spiritual life. So these are also things that Jesus has done during his time here on earth, right? So Jesus came to teach us, but he also came to train us. He came to train us in a, in a way to live a more God-centered life and to be more like him. So these are things that are essential to our life as Christians, right? And such examples are praying, reading the Bible, fasting, and discipling others. These are things that are essential. So let's think about these in like gym terms, right? So you use certain exercises to help you grow certain muscle groups. Like if you want big arms, a squat's not going to be doing you a whole lot, right? Unless you're like lifting the weights to get on the rack, but even then that's not doing a whole lot. You want to be hitting bicep curls or triceps extension to kind of make your arms look a little bit bigger. So you have things inside of the gym that you're doing specifically to help you with that muscle group, but you also have these disciplines or practices outside of the gym to make sure you're getting the maximum growth and recovery for your muscles, like getting the right amount of protein, getting enough rest, staying hydrated, just to name a few. So just going to the gym is not going to grow your muscles. There are things you have to do outside of the gym to help you recover and grow. That's the way these disciplines are designed to work. They're designed to help you grow in different parts of your faith, not just on Sunday mornings, not just in the gym. 
These are things that we could be doing in our daily, weekly, and monthly lives that we cannot be doing just on a Sunday morning here at church. That's what the whole class was about, is understanding these practices and disciplines to help us implement them into our own lives and help others implement them into their lives, to help them into their normal routines or maybe even shake up their normal routines to make room for these disciplines. It was a really, really awesome class that I took at MCC, and there was a ton into it, but there was one discipline that I didn't really understand or grasp a whole bunch at the very beginning of the class. And I think it was because I was afraid of what it could do, or I didn't really understand how it would work, I didn't understand the benefits of it, and it didn't click until after a big project at the end of the semester, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's this discipline of practicing solitude. So before we get into this, I need to let you guys know there's good ways and bad ways to practice a discipline. Just like being too strict with a diet and not giving your body enough nutrients or giving your body too much nutrients, you can abuse slash not use the discipline in the right way. So this is for you all introverts here today. You guys cannot go home and say, well, the preacher guy on stage said I can just stay in my room locked away all the time. No, unfortunately, that's not the way this works. You still have to be in community. You have to find that balance, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. So we're going to be hopping around the Gospel of Luke this morning. And Luke is one of the four Gospels in the Bible, and the Gospels tell us the life story of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke highlights Jesus' practice of solitude slightly more than the other three, so that's why we're going to be in that. We're going to start in chapter 4, and it's going to be verses 1 and 2. And a little bit of context before these verses is Jesus had just been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. God appeared from the heavens and said, hey, this is my son who I'm well pleased with, and a ton of people saw this, and Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of a big deal. This is a big moment in Jesus' life. He's getting ready to start his ministry and start to bring forth the kingdom of God, and that's where we're going to pick up. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by a devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So we have this huge moment, right? Like this is a huge moment in Jesus' life. This is him coming on the scene, getting ready to start his ministry. He gets baptized. God appears, and all these people around to see this. And what is the first thing that Jesus does to get his ministry going? He leaves. But he just doesn't leave. He, like, pieces out, right? He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. When we think of something starting to get going, right, like, it's like, hey, let's get going. Like, in Star Wars, when Luke gets his lightsaber, like, it's pretty much go, go, go from there, right? I've been able to go on a couple road trips with Emma's family and my family over these past couple months, and I'm the type of guy that's like, likes to have a schedule and likes to stay on schedule, so let's go, 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 no lollygagging, right? So, there ha- like, I like to have a schedule, but Jesus doesn't get going right away. He actually takes time to disappear. And it's not like he just disappears for a couple hours. This is 40 days, and it's intense. He separates himself from everyone and everything, and he goes out into the wilderness. And in this moment, he comes face to face with Satan. And Satan tries to overwhelm him or make Jesus doubt the mission that he's been sent on, but we know that he does not succeed in making Jesus doubt. So, but the big thing I want you guys to grab from those verses is that Jesus... This, or sorry, this time of solitude and interaction with the Satan was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. This is not something that Jesus decided to do. Jesus didn't just go like, hey, I'm going to go walk around for 40 days and disappear. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and this was something that the Holy Spirit had wanted him to do. This was planned, and it's intentional, and it's something important for us to note. Because Jesus was led into the wilderness to get ready for what his ministry was to become. Jesus was secluded and left into the wilderness to get ready for all the trials and tribulations that he would face while he was on his mission to bring forth the kingdom of God. But he was also in the wilderness secluded from everyone and everything except the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the one that empowered him to go out into the wilderness and be secluded from everything. Jesus was not alone in that moment. And I think one thing for us is we can be afraid to be alone because being alone can be a time and place where we could fall short or give in to our fears and where we don't know exactly what to do. But what if we started being, or embracing being alone with being with our Father? What if we listen to the Spirit and realize maybe that we need to be alone to start embracing the things that are going to be coming at us? Or maybe we need to tackle something that's in our life right now. What if we listen to the Father and he, we listen to Him help us through those moments, right? What if in our times of need where we feel alone and we're in those valleys and we're in those pits and we're not sure what to do, we turn to God, our Father, and we trust in Him in those moments? I mean, Jesus did. Why shouldn't we? So our next story is going to be in Luke chapter 5. So in this, Jesus is getting ready to call his disciples. He already has a couple of them following him, and he has just healed this man with leprosy. And we're going to be verses 14 and 16, and it says, Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. So Jesus just healed this guy, right? And he's like, hey, don't go tell anybody. Like, you just can't do that. And obviously, like, the guy goes and tells everyone. Because, like, if I got healed by Jesus, or even if I saw Jesus, like, everybody would know. Like, I would be telling everybody. So this guy goes and tells everyone, and the crowds start to grow, and they grow, and they grow. And people are coming all over to come and see Jesus. See who this guy was, hear his teachings, get healed, and all this busyness and all this craziness. But Jesus still took time to withdraw. He withdrew to lonely places, and that's the word I want to focus on here is lonely. So Jesus withdrew to lonely places, meaning that there was no one nearby, which is a little bit different than what the wilderness is. In the very beginning, we talked about Jesus withdrawing to the wilderness, and that's when he's secluded from everyone and everything, but now he's just withdrawing to a lonely place. So he's not going out into the barren nothing. He is still around things, but he's still far enough away where people can't be with him or bother him. And he does this because Jesus understood the power that could come from being alone with the Father. But we also know that Jesus didn't withdraw from people because he was all peopled out or he thought they were weird or maybe they smelled funny. We know that Jesus came to love on people and that was his whole mission, right? Like that's the whole reason Jesus was here is to love on people. He went out of his way to be with those people that were weird, maybe smelled funny or even hated him. Those are the people that Jesus loved. And he spent a lot of time with those people and he had a lot of stuff going on. But even in the midst of everything that Jesus was doing, he still withdrew and spent time alone with God. And every time that Jesus withdraws, and it's an emphasis, something big happens next. So now we're going to be in chapter 6, so next chapter. And at this point, the Pharisees start to hear about Jesus. And they're like, man, what are we going to do about this guy? He's causing us a lot of issues. So they're talking about how they're going to get rid of him, and they start to put a target on Jesus' back. And Jesus hears about this. So he's not entirely sure what to do next. So what does he do? He goes off into the mountains, and he prays for a whole night alone. And he comes back after this night of praying, and he, gets, and he gets ready to do something that's pretty big, and he calls his 12 apostles. The thing I want you guys to grab on is how Jesus is making these big, these big decisions or how these big moments come to be, right? And the part that I just kind of paraphrased, Jesus can clearly see where things are heading if he continues down the path that he is. If he continues to tell people about the good news that he's bringing, if he continues to bring forth the kingdom of God, he knows he's going to end up on the cross. So he thinks, what do I need to do next? And he spends time wrestling with the Father and contemplating with him, and he comes to the conclusion that he needs to call his 12. 
because the 12 are going to be the ones that are going to carry on the mission after he is gone. So Jesus realizes, hey, this is something that I need to start getting them ready to do because I only have a little bit of time left here. So Jesus wrestles what to do next in his ministry, and he only comes to that conclusion after spending a night alone with the Father. The big thing is these moments of solitude sustain, drive, and give Jesus the opportunity that he needs to discern what should happen next in his mission. This is such an emphasis in Jesus' ministry because he wants us to grasp and understand that for ourselves as well. Our Father will not lead us astray, and he will not lead us down the wrong path if we choose to spend time alone with him. Right? If we choose to spend time wrestling with the Father, asking him what we should do next, and if we continue to spend time alone with him, he will make those paths open and clear to us. May, they may not be exactly what we want or what we expect, but God will not lead you astray as long as you're listening to him and intentionally spending time with him. He will sustain us when we are weak. He will give us energy to make those hard choices, and he will help us get through whatever situation we might be going through if we choose to spend time alone intentionally with him and wrestle with him and ask him how to help us. And this is a key part of our faith that we simply just cannot ignore. And there are plenty of ways that we can implement the gospel of Luke into our lives today, but there's also a pretty big difference from our time right now to when Jesus was around, right? The first big thing is we're in Kansas. We don't have mountains, so like we can't go up into the mountains for like 40 days and chill. We do have the Flint Hills, so if you guys want to go walk around the Flint Hills for 40 days, I guess that's an opportunity you have. But if I disappeared for 40 days, I know my wife would be a little bit worried, but Max, my dog, would be freaking out, so I cannot leave for 40 days. But our world is also just so, so go, 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 go all the time. It's so hard for us to find time to rest and be alone with God, right? It's going to be difficult to try to practice this discipline of solitude. So we're going to go back to that class that I had mentioned earlier, the one that was the spiritual disciplines and retreat. And we covered a lot in that class. I mean, it was awesome. I really, really, really enjoyed that class. But one of our, we had one big project, and it was from the beginning of the semester to the end of the semester, and it was to practice this discipline of solitude on our own. And it was split up into four parts. So the first part is you got to find 30 minutes to be alone. And you could have your music, you could have your phone, you could have your Bible, you could have your notepad, you could have whatever you wanted, you just had to be alone. The second part was for an hour. You could have your Bible and your notebook, but you still had to be alone. The third part was you had to find two hours, and you could only have your Bible for those two hours. And then the last part was for four hours, and you couldn't have anything. You couldn't have your Bible, you couldn't have your notebook, you couldn't have your phone, you could not have anything with you for four hours. So as a college student with a part-time job, taking all these like upper-level classes, because this was my junior year, I was like, I was like, okay, I can figure out these first two pretty easy, or these first three pretty easily. Like that's not too hard. But when I read in the syllabus about the four hours, I was like, man, how in the world am I going to find four hours in my schedule to be completely alone? So I went through the semester and I got more and more stressed. But then I realized I kind of had a cheat code up my sleeve. And don't hear me say I cheated on this project because I did not cheat on this project. My professor will track me down and like yell at me because we work together now. So I did not cheat. I want to make that clear. I did not cheat. So this class was taught in the spring semester, so January through May. So towards the end of the semester is obviously going to be the April-May time. And one thing about me is I like hunting. And then in April time, it's turkey season. So I was like, oh man, this is a perfect excuse to go out turkey hunting, so I can just say I can get this project done. So that's what I did. One morning, I went out probably like 5 a.m., and I sat out there all by myself, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, I didn't get to see any turkeys or anything, but I did see everything around me wake up, and I was able to see the sunrise, and I was able to have this really, really cool moment with God. There had been a lot that had been going on in that past year anyways that I wanted to kind of struggle through. 
First thing is I decided to pursue ministry. I officially decided to drop K-State that year, and I just wanted to do youth ministry over at MCC. I had officially moved out of my parents' house, so I know they're pretty happy about that, but I was like, oh, man, that's a lot of change for me. So I had moved into a house with a couple other guys, and that was a really fun experience as well. My grandmother had passed away, and there was just a lot of stuff going on at school. There was a lot going on that I had to go through and process. And through those four hours, I literally had no other choice but to sit there and process and talk to God about those things, and it was pretty awesome. The point of this project and why I bring it up for you guys is because it's, it's not just one way you guys have to do solitude. It doesn't have to look the same for every single one of us. It can look different depending on what you need in that moment. It doesn't have to be four hours of you just sitting out doing nothing, right? Our world is not going to be able, you're not going to be able to find four hours every week to be alone. So maybe one week it's 30 minutes and you're listening to worship music. Maybe another week it's you're in the park hammocking reading your Bible. Maybe it's walking through your neighborhood engaging God in prayer. But it is something that we do have to make our priority in our life, right? Whatever it could be for you, make that a priority and at least try to do that. Once or twice a month. Try to find some sort of time, and no matter what that might be, try to find time to be intentionally alone with God. I won't go into the details of what I got through that time specifically, but it was really, really awesome. I was able to wrestle with God, and it actually kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone, sitting out in the field for four hours just talking to God out loud, but it also pushed me closer to the Father. This practice of solitude is meant to build our relationship with Him. In Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Barton, she says, the discipline of solitude is a key discipline of all those who seek after God. This practice of solitude is not something we can just simply ignore or not do if we are chasing after God and we want to live a godly life. Jesus did it all the time in his ministry, and he made it such an emphasis, so why shouldn't we? Why can't we make this an emphasis in our life as well? Before we wrap things up, I want to look at one more moment of solitude in Jesus' life, and this may be one of the more important moments in his ministry. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. And this says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples, and he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray, so you may not fall into temptation. We have this really, really cool moment here. Jesus is just hours away from being on the cross. And the first thing I want us to notice here is Jesus went a stone throw away. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, as we heard earlier, but here he makes it a priority to only go stone throw away. Like I said, Jesus is only hours, maybe 12-ish hours away from being on the cross. So I can't imagine what he was thinking or what he was feeling, but I know if I was in a moment of stress where I knew something big was going to happen, I would still want to be close to those who I love and I trust. So Jesus has this practice of being alone, but he also shows us that he has this practice of being alone in his community. With people who he trusts and he loves, he knows they're going to trust and love him as well. Jesus shows us that it's okay to have people close to us, even if we are trying to spend time alone. If we're trying to process something big, 
it's okay to have somebody nearby to trust on as well. One of my favorite things about King Solomon Church Camp is we have this moment called His Time. It's every morning, and everyone has like this devotion book. We have a couple uh, verses, there's a couple questions, and we all process it, but we're all spread out through camp. So we're all having our own little moment, and of course there's some kids with ADHD that are like throwing rocks. That was me when I was a little bit younger. So everyone has, everyone has their own little devotion book, and they're all spending time with God specifically, but we're all still near each other. Only stone throw away for some of us, right? Because the point is the body of Christ cannot do things when we are completely separated or isolated. Yes, there are truly times where we need to be alone and completely secluded with God to wrestle through things, but it's also okay to have others nearby to lean on during times of suffering and hardship. And then we get to one of my most favorite verses in the Gospel of Luke, and it's, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but yours. We truly get to see the humanity of Jesus in this moment. Jesus is fully God and fully human, and he understands why he was sent and what's about to happen, right? But being fully human, he's not necessarily excited to go on the cross. I don't think anybody would necessarily be excited to go on the cross, but Jesus is not excited, and he enters into this time of solitude, and that's what this is all about. This time of solitude is him wrestling about what to do. Even though he starts with saying, Father, if you could take this cup from me, saying, hey, I don't necessarily want to do this, he ends up saying, not my will, but yours be done. God's not always going to make the path that we want open, but he will provide you for the best path if we rely and trust on him and enter in those moments. But Jesus wrestles in this time of solitude with taking on the sins of the whole world, taking on what is keeping you and me from entering into a relationship with our Father. He was in such extreme emotion that he literally started sweating blood, right? Like, that's pretty intense, But the God of all creation enters into this time alone of solitude and prayer, and he walks away with it, being ready to take on the sin of the whole world for you and me. The discipline of solitude is a key discipline for all those who seek after God. If we are truly seeking after God, the creator of the whole universe, our Savior, why are we not intentionally spending more time alone with him? Why are we afraid to be in such aloneness and solitude that we are not relying on him? It doesn't have to be this scary, daunting thing, right? It's not you going out 40 days into the wilderness and not having anyone near you or around you. It doesn't have to be this scary and daunting task. If we truly enter in this time of solitude and relationship with God, it's going to be amazing, and amazing things are going to come for it. But I challenge you, sometime in this next week, find time to wrestle, worship, relax, grieve, rejoice, whatever it might be, whatever you might be needing this week, find time to do that alone with our God. Because we have such an amazing, wonderful creator who loves us so, so, so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you and me. Let's pray. Dear Father, man, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we uh, have to gather and uh, just be with you, Lord. I thank you for everyone here, and I pray for uh, safe travels, and I pray for everyone to stay warm with uh, the impending snow this week, and I just thank you again for the opportunities that we have to serve and honor you. In the name I pray, amen.